Hey, you guys, all right, mate? My name is Danny. I'm an alcoholic. And, and I got a Friday date of uh, January 2nd, 2012, and I'm super uh, uh, grateful for that day. That's, uh, um, I've had a lot of sobriety dates, but that one is, uh, uh, ooh, that's just super awesome. And um, I'm happy, <laughs> like really, really happy. And uh, it just kind of still blows my mind that I could feel this way stone cold sober. You know, I've had a lot of sobriety dates. I've been uh, in a 10 rehabs. You know, I did a Cooper Fellowship Salvation Army. I did the Rock Center four times. I did the Friendship Shelter out there in Laguna Beach twice. I've done a lot of detoxes, a lot of programs. I spent 15 years of my life in the penitentiary, you know, up and down the great state of California. And uh, my life pretty much consisted of going in and out of treatment, programs, rehabs, prison, jails, thousands of meetings. You know, the first time I went to a meeting, I was 18 years old. You know, and uh, um, I've gone to a lot of meetings ever since then. And, uh, um, you know, taking it all the way back, um, there's this feeling that I always like to share um, when I first really recognized it that, uh, uh, that I enjoyed. You know, I was 14 years old and I was living with my mom and uh, dad out in Newport Beach. And my mom, was a, she was a Superior Court judge. <laughs> and my father was a Laguna Beach police officer. <laughs> Ah, they're good people. And uh, I don't know what happened. But uh, so I was 14 years old and I'm grounded, you know, for doing something stupid, fighting at school. And uh, they were going out for the night. And they tell me, okay, Danny, we're going out for the night. We'll be back in a few hours. You're grounded. No friends, no phone, no TV. Don't go anywhere and just be here and we'll be back in a couple hours. Like, <laughs> I'll be right here. You know what I mean? You kids go have fun. And, uh, you know, and uh, I'm grounded, you know? So they take off and then I'm like, okay, I got a couple hours to go screw around. So I leave and I go down to the pier in Newport and I'm with my friends and uh, we pimped some uh, Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill, you know, some uh, classy wine. And uh, so we drink that and we're smoking weed. We're getting screwed up. And I'm like, Ooh, I got to get back to the house. So as I'm staggering back to the house, I'm getting closer to the house and I'm looking and I'm like, oh my God, is that their car? I'm like, it's their car. They, they made it back, but I'm so busted right now. And I'm like, I do not want to go in there. You know, it was the eighties and you know, I mean, dad was a cop, you know? And uh, um, I just did not want to go in there. And uh, I'm like, I do not want to go in there. I'm just thinking this is going to suck so bad. So I just made this decision. I'm just never going to go home ever again. You know, I'm going to run away. So I left and I went back down to the pier and I'm with my friends and we're drinking some more and smoking some more and getting screwed up and it's getting late. And I'm asking my friends, hey, hey, can I stay at your house tonight? No. <laughs> hey, hey, can I sleep over your house? No, uh, what am I gonna do? It's like late, and I'm like, oh my god! And I'm like, you know what? Screw it! I'll go sleep on the beach. You know, I'll sleep in the sand. So I stagger out to the sand. And I lay on the beach. And I got my leather jacket, my combat boots, and I'm laying there. And it's the middle of January. And I'm like, it's cold out here. But there was this other feeling that was more powerful than that. I was drunk. I was high. I was wasted. 
And it gave me this feeling of courage that like, at least I'm doing whatever the hell I want to do. And I don't have to listen to anyone tell me anything. Basically gave me the courage to tell everyone, you mean, screw you. It was me against the world. And I like that feeling. That feeling for me was freedom. Freedom from everybody and everything and doing whatever the hell I wanted to do. And I was drunk and I liked that feeling. It felt like courage, freedom. And I chased that feeling, you know, and, uh, but there were times, you know, later on where, you know, I was in this garage and I'm working on this bicycle, you know, and I'm putting this bicycle together for like 11 days. <laughs> you know? working on this bicycle and I'm like what am I doing and I'm like what am I doing I can hear this little voice in the back of my head and it's my mom's voice and it's saying Danny you are so smart you are so intelligent you have so much potential can't you see that stuff is ruining your life and I'm like I can hear that and I'm like she's right I need to get sober. I need to stop this so I can live to my potential. So back then I had to call, a, uh, I called the rock center every day until I got a bed there. You don't know, call them every single day. And then all of a sudden they say they have a bed. So I went to the rock center and I got there and I'm like, I am so done. And I get in there and they go, okay, look, you got to follow some rules. We're glad you're here. Welcome home. And, uh, but you got to get a sponsor. You got to work some steps. You got to go to these groups. You got to uh, make your bed. Um, you'll have a little chore here. You got to do all this stuff. And I'm like, anything, I I'm ready. You guys are saving my life. I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to live to my potential. You'll see. So I got in there. And then two weeks later, I'm holding hands with a bunch of freaking weirdos in a prayer circle. Like, yeah, I don't feel amazing. <laughs> I think I overreacted. You know, so I go back out there and, uh, you know, it's, it's so trippy, too, because uh, all the times that I was ever sober, you know, uh, I did this one thing. I, I did this thing where I'm like, OK, you know, I mean, going in and out of programs, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay sober for one year. I'm not going to screw. I'm going to give this thing. One year. I'm not going to screw around. I'm not going to do nothing for one year. So I went to this rehab. Uh, it was down here in South County uh, called Casa del Cerro. And I went in there. And uh, um, so I got a sponsor. I worked a couple steps. I was doing okay. Things were all right. And, uh, you know, and this disease thing, like the disease concept, it's kind of a trippy thing. I like to equate it to uh, um, this, this thorny, prickly ivy weed that is inside of me and it's just choking the life out of me and it's just I, i'm not comfortable in my own skin i just feel weird and it's just i just it's not right so all of a sudden i'll go into this program and i'll do a couple steps i'll share some meetings you know and i'm working on you know doing this stuff and all of a sudden these like little magic shears come out and it's like Trim, 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 trim. And then, boop, a little sunlight starts coming through. And I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling better. And then I start doing a couple more little steps. And then trim, 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 trim. And then all of a sudden, it's just, boom. I, a little more sunlight, and I feel a little bit better. 
And then I always get to this point where it's like, hey, Danny, uh, uh, you know, you want to uh, you want to drink? And I'm like, you know what? No, I, no, I feel pretty good. I, I feel OK. You know, what I mean, I, I don't want to drink. And so, hey, you want to smoke a joint? And I'm like, no, no, I feel pretty good. You know, what I mean, I, this sober thing's all right. You know, you want to go to the bar? You want to drink? You want to do anything? No, no, I feel OK. And then someone will say, hey, Danny, do you want to go to a meeting? Mm-mm. No, I feel pretty good. I'm good. You know, I mean, I don't need to go to a meeting. You know, like, I'm good. You want to call your sponsor? No, not really. I feel pretty good. This thing's all right. I'll take it from here, AA. You know? But what happens is, is this thing, the thing that gave me a little freedom, I stopped doing. And this thing just starts growing back and it starts choking the life out of me again. And I don't know what's wrong with me. So that one time when I said I was going to get this year sober, I freaking got a sponsor. I worked a couple steps. And then I was like, you know what? I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just go to meetings. So I was just going to meetings and just going to meetings and just going to meetings. And I would sit down and I'd shut up and I'd go to meetings. And I was going to a lot of freaking meetings, but I wasn't working the program. And what happens is, is this thing starts freaking choking the life out of me. And I remember about nine to 10 months into it, these guys go, hey, Danny, we're going on this surfing safari down in Santa Nofree, and we're going to have tents and bonfires and all of us sober there, and it's going to be great. You want to go? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll go, (laughs) you know? So I get down there at the beach and I'm sitting in front of this bonfire and I got this guy next to me and he's got this wire hanger. And he's like, look, this is the way you do it, Danny. You take the graham cracker, you put it on the wire hanger and then you take the marshmallow, put it on there. And then you take the piece of chocolate, put a little, and you put the whole thing on the wire, you put the whole spore on here. And then he holds it over the fire and he looks over at me and he goes, isn't this fun? no no this is not fun no no this is lame you know what i mean because because see i got this thing i mean it was was uncomfortable my own skin and and what's trippy too is that uncomfortability i could be around my whole family at thanksgiving i could be around my whole family where everyone's there and they all love me and they all love me so much. They're concerned about me. They care about me. And they all want to help me. And I can't freaking stand it. I have something in me that is just torturing me. And I don't know what that thing is. And here's something else. It's so weird. Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous. So here's the weird thing. Is you know, I remember I was at this treatment center and they go, hey, um, we're all going to take you to, you've been there for a few weeks, we're all going to take you to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, we want you to get a sponsor, so everybody get in the druggy buggy, you know, get into the alcoholer, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to take you to this meeting and find a sponsor, and I'm like, okay, you know, because we're all in line, you can go into the druggy buggy, and uh, so I get to this meeting, and this guy shares kind of neat, you know, and I was like, maybe I'll ask that guy, you know, <laughs> neat. And uh, so after the meeting, I asked this guy, I go, hey, uh, will, you, will you sponsor me, you know, I'm at the treatment center? And he goes, yeah. 
He goes, you got a big book? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you got a highlighter? I'm like, yeah, they gave me one. He goes, okay. I want you to read the doctor's opinion. I want you to read Bill's story. And I want you to highlight stuff that you can relate to. I'm like, all right. So I got back to the treatment center and I'm reading the doctor's opinion. What? And then I'm reading Bill's story. Like, what? A stockbroker from the 1930s rolling around, you know, I mean, with his wife and a sidecar investment banking. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't identify drinking bathtub gin. Like, what are you? No, no, I don't. I do not identify with anything in here. Where are my people? I'm a convict junkie criminal. I shoot heroin. I smoke speed. Like, where are my people in here? But the thing is, I suffered from this thing called terminal uniqueness. See, the thing is, is that you haven't been to the places I've been. You haven't seen the things I've seen. You haven't done the things I've done. So how are you going to tell me anything? I'm way different than you. But there's this thing that crosses all boundaries. Thing that unites us. And that's feelings. You might not have been to the same places I've been. You might not have been to the same, done the same things I've done. But you have felt the same way I felt. Pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Being the biggest disappointment in my family's life, even when I want to be. Being a complete, utter failure. Being compelled to keep messing with something that's destroying my life, even though I, and I know it is, and I can't stop it anyway. Just because my prison was the fifth tier of Folsom, and I'm in my cell, and I'm shooting heroin, and I'm going out of my freaking mind, and I've lost all, lost my joy for living, lost the biggest failure, disappointment in my freaking life, does not mean that my prison is any different than a housewife that has never had a speeding ticket and she's in her million dollar kitchen and she's drinking herself to freaking death, losing her children, losing her home, losing her job, losing her husband, losing her dignity, her courage, her joy, her respect, losing everything. Her and I are in the exact same hell. Feelings. It's not the gin, it's not the whiskey, it's not the heroin, the crack, the crank, the Xanax, it's none of those things, it's me. I have an obsession inside of myself that I cannot stop tripping on myself and it keeps compelling me to mess with something. Feelings. These feelings are the thing that unites us. You know, that terminal uniqueness. <laughs> I'm so different, we're not different. How can we all be different when we all want the same thing? We all want happiness, all of us. So we're all the same. You know, this, uh, uh, you know, I got this analogy that's uh, kind of trippy, but it's like I lived my life in this dark cave and it's cold and it's lonely and it's just, I'm in there and all I have in there is these two rocks. And I'm banging these freaking rocks together over and over and over again. And every once in a while, I get a little spark and it makes a little fire. And I'm like, okay, okay, it's okay in here. I'm warm. Yeah, all right. And then the fire goes out. Like, oh. So then I'm banging these freaking rocks together over and over and over again. Get a little spark, get a little fire. And I'm like, yeah, it's warm in here. All right, I'm cool. This is great. And the thing goes out. Meanwhile, 
people that love me, <laughs> people that care about me are walking by the mouth of the cave and they're looking in and they're like, Danny, what are you doing in there? Can't you see there's a whole giant life out here full of rainbows and butterflies and mountains and kayaks and streams and there's a lot of love and opportunity. Get out of the freaking cave. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to make a little fire here. I'm kind of busy. <laughs> you know, get back to banging my rocks, you know. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, one time I'm like, all right, can't get a fire going. How do I get out of here? They're like, take these 12 steps out. So on one of my times, I'm like, all right, put the rocks down. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> we had a lot of good times, man. You know what I mean? Remember that fire? Remember the shadow bubble? There was a fire. You guys go ahead. And I go back again. And this last time, being beaten and exhausted and I can't get a fire and every little thing, I just can't find nothing. How do I get out of here? Take these 12 steps. One, two, three, four, five. And I'm just thinking this is crap. The whole time, the whole time, like there ain't nothing out there. This is crap. That's my happy, I don't know. And then six. Seven, eight, nine. It started getting warmer. It started getting brighter. It started getting better. And I get outside the mouth of the cave and I get down into the freaking valley and I look around and I see rainbows and butterflies and streams and kayaks and people smiling and laughing. And I see this giant abundant life that I've never seen before. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me about this before? They've been telling me about this for years. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I look back on that mountain and you know what I see? Thousands of caves. Thousands and thousands of people locked in the bondage of self. And I am compelled to, I want to help them all. Because I know what that feeling is like and I know there's a way out. You know, if you guys can't tell, I'm super passionate about this. Because <laughs> it's really the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. You know, I, I didn't know that I could feel this way. Stone cold sober, because I've been stone cold sober a lot of times, many times, but I never worked. You know, the program, you know, the program, you know, you guys, uh, just a little fact, you know, I've been to 10 treatment centers, right? And, and numerous other detoxes, right? 10, 12 step based treatment centers. I've been to, thousands of 12-step meetings. I've had lots of sponsors, but I never worked the 12 steps, <laughs> you know what I mean? Until now, you know, like, wait, what the hell? So this weird thing is, you know, because uh, in our book, it says I'm a victim of the delusion that I could rest happiness and satisfaction out of this life if I only manage well. For some reason, I'm a victim of the delusion. I think that if I could just get on my feet and get the car and get the house and get the stuff and get on my feet, I can have a happiness out of this life that I can do this. And I'm a victim of it. 
because I can't. So it's like this. If I am just super out of shape and I am just tired all the time and I'm like, I got to do something about this. And then someone says, you know what, Danny, why don't you join the gym? I'm like, yes, I'm going to join the gym. I go, you know what? I'm going to go get a membership right now. So I go down to the gym and I sign up with the gym. And then I go, look, I'm going to be here at 5 a.m. every freaking morning. I'm going to be here for an hour, seven days a week. Yes, because I'm going to get into shape. And so the next morning I get there at 5 a.m. And the guy goes, okay, Danny, today we're going to do legs. We're going to work out legs. And then I'm like, I got a lot of stuff going on with my chick right now. You know what I mean? She's like, you know what I mean? I really got to help her out. You know what I mean? But go ahead with those legs. I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I just got to do this. But I'm going to be here for an hour. Don't trip. Handle that stuff. And then the next day I get there at 5 a.m. And I'm there for the freaking one hour. And then the guy goes, today we're going to work out arms. And I'm like, Jew, my mom, you know what I mean? I'm on the flight. I take this call. My mom's going through some stuff. You know what I mean? I really got to be there for her. And I, but I'm going to be here for one hour. And the next day I show up, they're like, hey, today we're going to do cardio. And I'm like, yeah, I'm waiting on this job interview. I really got to get a job. I need some money. It's super important. You know what I mean? So I got to, you know, fill these applications. And the next day I show up. And I watch everyone working out and I see everyone working out and I listen to everyone working out and I freaking and I watch and I listen. And I watch and I listen. And I'm going to the gym every day for six months watching everyone and listening to everyone. See, I'm not a big fan of that sit down and shut up thing. I don't, I don't like that. Take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. I don't, I don't like that. Because I came in here for years and I sat down and I shut up and I watched and I listened for years. And if I go to the gym every day and all I do is watch and listen, at the end of six months, I'll tell you, I'm more tired and out of shape than I've ever been. And then I'll tell you, the gym doesn't work. The gym doesn't work. I went every day for six months for an hour every single day, and it does not work. That's this program. I went to meetings after meetings after meetings, and I sat down, and I shut up, and I watched, and I listened, and I watched, and I listened, and I got no results. Because, see, the happiest, you know the happiest alcoholics I know are? The happiest ones. The ones that are raising their hands, the ones that are sharing, the ones that are in the book, the ones that are calling their sponsors, the ones that are doing steps, the ones that are praying, meditating, the ones that are welcoming the newcomers, the ones that have commitments to the meeting, the ones that are handing out coffee, the ones that are exchanging numbers, the ones that are texting each other every single day. Have a great day. It was good to hear you last night. Have a great day. What are you doing tonight? What meeting are you going to do? Because there's this thing called being in the center of the pack. You ever heard that? You know how to get into the center of the pack? Because if you're on the edges of the pack, you get picked off. If you're in the center of the pack, and how do you get in the center of the pack? Communicate with the pack. Text everyone every single day. To, you know, in my most, you know, I'll share this. In my most difficult moments of early recovery, I would sit there and trip out and I'd be all in myself, worried, money. And I would just like start texting every single person that, that was in recovery that cared about me or I cared about them. And I said, thank you for being in my life. 
Thank you for being in my life. Have a great day. Thank you for being in my life. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you for, uh, it was nice meeting you last night. Have a great day. And I would text all this love out there and it would come back throughout the day. Because see, I, I have found out that me by myself, working on myself, by myself, for myself, with myself, every single day is the definition of selfishness. And I thought, that's how, I, and I, you know, we want to be valuable in life. The only way to become valuable is by adding value to others' lives. If I'm not adding any value to anybody's life, by definition, I am worthless. I never, I wanted you to add value to my life, but I didn't want to give you shit. And that was a weird deal. So the happiest alcoholics I know, are the ones that are raising their hands, the ones that are working the program, the ones that are doing this thing. If you want to be happy, do what the happy people do. It's not a puzzle. There's a room full of, there's a bunch of people in here that I know that feel good about the life they have and the person that they are. You know, there's a room full of us and it just follows suit. I know how to do that. There's this trippy deal too about, you know, I can never... I can never see nothing. Like, I can never see nothing because this thing called pride was my greatest character defect. Thinking of myself and my needs and my wants and my stuff and thinking I'm smart and thinking I'm intelligent. That was, that was the deal. So when I'm in prison, you know, I think I'm this just a solid dude in prison and I'm in my prison cell and I'm telling my celly, hey, check this out. It's about respect and disrespect. And he's like, yeah. And I go, we don't let no one disrespect us, right? And he's like, no, bro, we're solid. And I'm like, that's right. We work out. We do this. You know, we don't take crap from anybody. He's like, no, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm going to telling him like the problem with life and explaining life and philosophy to him. Like, I know what the problem with life is. I'm in my underwear and I'm waiting for Joe in a prison cell. And I, I don't know what the problem with life is. I think I do, though. You know what I mean? I think I'm solid. I think I'm a, like, soldier, you know, in prison. You know, I'm standing on the toilet and I got this little mirror and I'm looking at my back arm and I'm like, yeah, bro, you're awesome. I don't know. No, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm going to the yard. I'm going to the yard. I'm out of the yard. I'm like, hey, I gotta call my mom. I get on the phone. I call my mom. Hey, mom, I love you so much. You know, um, I'm going to store next week. Can you put $50 on my books? Did you get that package list I sent you? Because I, I, I need some stuff in here. Because see, I'm a man with nothing. I'm a man with nothing. And I'm calling my mother to please provide for me after just disrespecting the crap out of my life. And I can't see it. And I think I'm smart. I think I'm intelligent. I think I'm solid. And I'm a man with nothing. And it wasn't like I was a man with nothing one time. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm never going to let that happen to me ever again. That sucked. No, I was a man with nothing at 18, at 20, at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40, at 42. I was a man with nothing over and over and over and over again. 
Because I got something wrong with me. I can't see. Pride. You ever talk to one of those people and you're telling them some good advice and they're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I Totally, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know, right? I know. That was me. I mean, oh, there's this ancient saying and it's like in India and it's like carved on a rock and it basically translates to know and not to do actually isn't to know. If I know all the ways to succeed in life and I'm pedaling around on my bicycle with $4 in my pocket, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, so this one time, uh, I just want to explain this uh, thing about powerlessness, you know, and my power. So one time I got out of prison, I did eight years, and I thought my solution to my life would be going back to school. I thought my solution was going back to school and learning a new career and dedicating my brilliant mind, focusing on freaking schoolwork and being, uh, you know, doing something with my life. And so I signed up for school. I went to school and, and uh, I signed up 19 units some semesters. and I was getting straight A's, but I didn't think I was an alcoholic or an addict. I didn't think I was that because I thought for some reason, even after all the meetings and all the years, I thought for some reason that an alcoholic was a person that drinks one time and they're completely worthless the next day, off and running. That's what, for some reason, I thought that, you know, the phenomenon of craving kicked off and now they're off and running. But for me, I got out of prison and I went to the bars and I was drinking, but I had a priority. School was my priority. So I was going to school and I was getting A straight A's and I was drinking sometimes on the weekend. I'm shooting pool with my brother and like, things are okay. And then, you know, I do a little blow here and there and I do a little something, something and I party one night, then I go back to school. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's called chipping. And chipping turns into chunking. <laughs> so then I was chunking. But during those during that year that I was going to school, no one could tell me I'm blowing it. And even, even after all the evidence of my life, of all this crap, no one could tell me I'm blowing it. I'm like, look at my parole officer loves me. My mom loves me. My daughter loves me. I'm going to school. I'm getting straight A's. I can drink and party sometimes. I'm not blowing it. You can't tell me that. And I was really convinced of that. And what does it say in the book? It says, uh, um, you know, sometimes we had some uh, uh, control, you know what I mean? But invariably it ends in a pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I thought I had control, regaining control, but such intervals usually brief. That one was about nine, almost a year. <laughs> brief. And uh, so I wound up, uh, uh, I could tell I'm chugging, I'm blowing it, and I'm going to go back to prison. I could tell, you know what I mean? Because I'm getting just really screwed up, and I'm missing class, and everything's blowing it. So I called my brother, and I told him, I need help. I'm going to go back to prison. Everything's, I'm blowing it. I need help. So I drive all the way out to Silmar, and I got there, and I gave him all my money. I gave him all my dope, gave him everything. And I tell him, I go, listen, I, I never want to touch anything ever again. I am completely done. I need your help. I'm going to stay here for a few days and get over this hump. And uh, I never want to touch it. And I felt it, and I knew it inside of myself. I felt it. And this is, this is my bottom. I can feel it. This is my bottom. I knew it was. And that was 3 o'clock. At nine o'clock, I'm like, why did I, why did I tell him all 
well, I think I overreacted a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not done. I need to get the hell out of here. Where's my keys? And I went back off on a run. That was so important to me because my power lasted six hours. You could have put me on a stack of Bibles. You could have put me to the biggest lie detector test ever. And I was telling my brother the truth that I never wanted to drink or use ever again. I was completely done. I, I was done. And my power lasted six hours. So I wound up going back to prison for three more years. And I got out and I was 42 years old and I'm on the bus and I called my mother. And I'm like, hey, mom, I just got out. I can't wait to see you and Kayleen. And that's my daughter. And it's going to be great. And I got some jobs lined up. I'm going to be there in a few hours. And uh, uh, I'm really fit right now. And uh, I just can't wait to see you. I love you so much. And she told me, you know, Danny, I'm glad you're out of prison. I'm glad you called. I have cancer. I'm going to die. And you will never set foot in this house ever again. You're, you're 42 years old and you're going to die from a heroin overdose or you're going to do something stupid and go to prison for the rest of your life. I have watched you your entire life and you're not going to change. You've made a million promises and you've never kept one. Not that I don't love you, but something bad's going to happen to you and I don't want you around the family when that day comes. Take care of yourself. <clears throat> That's what my mom told me. Seven days later, I'm in this weird house with a homeboy and I'm freaking plotting crimes. And I'm laughing and I'm drinking whiskey and I'm shooting heroin and I'm just going out of my mind. And I'm just like, who are we going to rob? Who are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then uh, um, I look over the corner of the room and there's this black trash bag in the corner of the room. And you know what was in that black trash bag? Everything I own. Two pairs of pants that my mom bought me when I was in prison. Some hygiene that my sister got me on a package when I was in prison. And all these letters, I was writing all these people about how it was going to be different when I got out of prison. How I was going to stop screwing around. And I meant every single word to every single person that I was writing. Something was wrong. I had become in that moment everything I never wanted to be. I didn't want to be a 42-year-old man with nothing. I didn't want to be the biggest disappointment in my family's life. I didn't want to be a deadbeat father. I didn't want to be a man with freaking nothing. And I had become everything I never wanted to be. Something was horribly wrong. I thought I was smart. I thought I was intelligent. Everything that I ever learned about people, places, things, every book and every class I've ever taken inside of my life, every day that I learned something in this life, I put it to life the best I could. And at the end of it, that day was the sum result of my entire life's work. Something was wrong. So I found out some friends of mine were at this place called Woodland and I'd called them. And the next thing I know, I'm freaking getting to bed at this detox and I'm going in there and they're like, Hey, don't worry. We got you. Hey, just make this call. And so I ended up at this at Woodland. I'm in the detox and I got loaded right before I walked in there and I'm just freaking, I don't know what's happening, but I went and, and, and from the detox, went into the program. I heard this guy in this panel and this guy in this panel says, you know what? The program's not just putting the plug in the jug and now you're going to be amazing. The program's at 12 steps. And I thought, I've been to all these 12-step programs and meetings and all, and I've never done the 12 steps. What's wrong with me? 
So I made this inner commitment that no matter what I think and no matter what I feel, I'm going to complete all 12 steps because I don't know what to do anymore. And I'd seen these happy people that got loaded like me and screwed their life up like me. And I was hearing it and they were like, happy. Like, hey, daddy, what do you need help with? We got a house, got this, got a job. What do, what do you need? Here's a, I'm like, how the hell did you get so happy? You were shooting dope and Cheeto three years ago. Like, what? How did you get so happy? You were a drunken mess. How did you get so... And they all had one thing in common. They completed the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. They sponsor people. I'm like, what? So I said, all right. So I got my sponsor. And um, he'd asked me, are you willing to do whatever it takes? I said, yes. So we got to step one. I go, okay, step one. I get it. Powerlessness. I get it. My power, black trash bag. I get it. I mean, my power failure. I get it. You know what I mean? My life's unmanageable. Step two, came to believe in a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Okay, that step, all right. I, what I got out of that step is my power, black trash bag failure. If I want more than a black trash bag, I got to have some other power. I agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I can agree with that. And I'm insane. You know, I just thought I was kind of on a low roll then. You know, I'm not really insane, but yeah, insane. And uh, cuckoo. Step three, made a decision to my will in my life over the care of God as I understand him. So that step, you know, I call my sponsor and he goes, okay, did you copy down the third step prayer five times? Did you memorize it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'll pick you up. So he picks me up in his truck and we go to Burger King. We're in the Burger King parking lot. And he got me a burger and he got me a pack of smokes from the cab of his truck. And he goes, okay, say the third step prayer with me, Danny. And he reaches over and he grabs my hand like this. <laughs> snug. And, uh, <clears throat> too snug. And, uh. So we say this prayer, you know, God, honor myself to thee to build with me, do with me as I will, with thee for the bondage of self. We say the prayer, he lets go of my hand, and he looks over at me, and he smiles. And he goes, now, I don't want you to go a day without hitting your knees and saying that third step prayer, just like it is in the book. And I go, and I've known this guy a long time. I watched him, you know, we used to get loaded together, and that guy had 14 years. And I'm like, hey, you know, here's the thing, Kevin. I just need to be straight with you. Like, here's the deal, man. Like, I don't believe in God. Like, I don't. I studied so many religions while I was in prison and like, I do not believe in God. Like there's no magic man upstairs listening to all of our prayers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe in God. So let's do the reading. Let's do the writing. And uh, um, let's just do it like that. And I, I'm down, you know, and, and we can do it that way. <laughs> and then he goes, you know, you to say that there is no God, that's your ideas. You not wanting to hit your knees every day, that's your ideas. Where's your happy family, Danny? I want nothing to do with me. Where's your home? Not your mom's home. Do you have a home? I'm at that treatment center. Do you have a car? Do you have a bank account? Do you have any insurance? Do you have a career? And then he said, where's your key to any lock? So maybe the solution to your life is being presented to you right now, but you can't see it because you're so full of your own ideas. And plus, when you asked me to sponsor you, I asked you, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Were you lying to me? And right when he said that, 
this light bulb went off in my head. And I heard my mom saying, you know, Danny, you made a million promises and, you can't, and you've never kept one. I was bright enough to know that if I can't, if I can't keep my word to somebody in this life, I will always be a failure. Break my word to myself, but if I got to keep my word to somebody. So I told him, all right, all right, okay. You know, I'll do the knees thing, you know? And uh, you know what prayer's like? Prayer is like if I have this giant bowl of M&Ms and I freaking take one out, like 10,000 M&Ms and I take one out, do you notice a difference? No. If I take one more M&M out of that heavy bowl, do you notice a difference? No. That's why we stop praying. Because we don't notice a difference. But day after day upon my knees, praying to this God that I didn't believe in and saying this third step prayer to the air, to my blankets, being on my knees. I was very embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to see me hit my knees doing this thing. But I gave a man my word. I would do everything he told me to do. So I'm hitting my knees, doing this prayer, very embarrassed, feeling very dumb, saying it really freaking fast sometimes. But every day an Eminem was coming out of that bowl. Every single day. Because the thing is, it didn't matter what I thought about. Because sometimes I'd get up off that. I'd say it super fast. Got him himself to do me do man's all the bundles of take away my difficulties figure over them. And I say really fast, I'd stand up and I'm like, that felt super dumb. That was dumb. But did a prayer like that work? Absolutely. Because it didn't matter what I felt, it didn't matter what I thought, it mattered what I did. My physical action of surrender hitting my knees and giving a man my word. Day after day, one more Eminem was coming out of that bowl, and another Eminem, and another Eminem, and then the third step, and then the fourth step, and then the fifth step. Handfuls of Eminem were coming out of this bowl. Six steps, seven steps, handfuls of Eminem, more seven step prayer, doing this stuff. It just all of a sudden, something weird started happening to me. I started feeling lighter, and I started feeling braver. I started feeling like I wasn't tripping on the things that I always tripped on. I wasn't getting mad at people like I always did. I started caring about people and myself in a way I never have before. Like something weird was happening to me. You know who I am today? The man I've always wanted to be. I don't feel superior to anybody and I don't feel inferior to anybody. I'm exactly who I've always wanted to be. This guy. I'm not perfect. I got fears and I got insecurities and I got challenges and difficulties in my life, but I can accept them all today. Everything, because nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Everything that comes in my life is delivered for me to, from God. And if it's difficult, God's just saying, hey, I need you to be stronger later. I don't bitch and complain about nothing. And some of this stuff is super difficult. You know, that bowl of M&Ms, you know what that was? Fear. Anger. Shame. Guilt. Regret. Pride. Jealousy. Envy. All negativity. My character defects and my shortcomings. And then when I started asking God, just really fast, just started doing the actions. The actions don't care why you take it. I was doing the actions and this stuff was starting to get removed and it was freeing me. I didn't know that I could feel this way, stone cold sober. <laughs> I feel freaking, I didn't know that. You know, that pink cloud that they talk about, you know, like, oh, they used to say, cause I was, I, I got like this in my first year. You know, and I was really happy. And they, some of these guys would say, oh, you know, you're just on a pink cloud. When that pink cloud bursts and life slaps you in the face, man, you'll, you'll, you'll understand. 
I've been on a pink cloud for almost 11 years. You know what I mean? It hasn't burst. Why? People ask me all the time, why are you so happy? Because I'm free. I am free. I am free from the, the bondage of self, the obsessive freaking thinking and all this stuff and just tripping on myself all day long. I see life in a way that I never have before. I care about people in a way I never have before. I became a counselor, an interventionist, a business owner. I started a foundation a few years ago. I freaking help a lot of people. You know what I mean? I love people. I, I love us. I love what we do. This is like the psychic change, the paradigm shift. Like I didn't know it was possible, but I absolutely know 100% that this will go away if I stop working the program. I see it all the time. I work with sponsees, you know, I'm a, 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 I, I just care about people and I continue to work with them. I continue my meetings. That's why I got tattooed on my knuckles. Just stay. As long as I stay in this thing and do this stuff, I get to feel this way. And I've seen people get away from this. I never, you know, you can ask my wife. You know, my wife is so amazing. You can ask her. Her and I made this agreement that we are third on each other's list. God and recovery come first. We are third on each other's list. And we keep it that way. She works a strong program and helps a lot of women. You know, we work our programs and uh, uh, whatever we're going through, we know we got God in recovery. Do I? Oh, the last thing. Sorry, you guys. My mom today is cancer free, and I'm welcoming to her house at any time. <laughs> Woo! We just went on a cruise uh, two weeks ago down to Mexico and Cabo San Lucas, and we're laughing and just having a good time. She trusts me, believes in me, confides in me, counts on me. I even have a key to her house. <laughs> it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, yeah, real shit. And uh, uh, miracles do happen. I love you guys. I love us. I love what we do. This is the greatest, most epic journey. The greatest deliverer is Alcoholics Anonymous and these 12 steps. Thank you so much.